Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I will take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we'll talk about how the papal almoner went down a manhole this weekend to illegally restore electricity to 450 homeless people in Rome. Then, we'll update you on the Pope's comments on women deacons that he made to an international group of women religious. Finally, we'll talk about the new laws that Pope Francis issued on sexual abuse. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Uh, good morning from New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome again, Colleen. Very good to hear you. I'm so jealous. It's cold here. Um, Jerry, before we get into our show, we have a couple of updates that we wanted to give our listeners. The first of those being that uh, this last Sunday, Catholics across Sri Lanka went back to Mass for the first time since the Easter Sunday attacks. Yes, that's very good news because it requires a lot of courage when you've seen that more than 200 people were killed most of them church goers. So Jerry, the other story that we wanted to talk quickly about was that Pope Francis has authorized pilgrimages to the Marian Shrine of Medjugorje in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, why is that significant that he's authorized these now? Well, Our Lady is alleged to have appeared to six teenagers in 1981. Since then, uh, more than 40 million people, not just Catholics, people of other faiths have gone there. The Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith has always been a little skeptical, as have the local bishops and Pope Francis. And so they carried out various investigations as to what was happening. Now, Pope Francis has concluded that there is no doubt that people benefit from going there. People have been converted. Their prior life has become much better. They have go to confession. They participate in the Eucharist celebrations. And so he has given clearance for the first time for parishes and dioceses to organize pilgrimages there. But he made very clear that this is not a verdict on whether the apparitions actually happened and which ones the church will recognize. That's still under study. And um, you mentioned before we recorded that, that more people visit there than visit Lourdes in France, right? And this is since 1981. More people are going there. 40 million people in this period is a lot. And not just Catholics, not just Christians, people followers of other religions, the sick, the disabled, people with great problems go there and get spiritual solace. And if our listeners want to learn more about uh, what happened at Medjugorje and what's going on there today, they can read your reporting, Jerry, uh, at americamagazine.org. And as always, I'll link to it in the show notes. So this weekend, the papal almoner, Cardinal Conrad Karoweski, illegally went down a manhole to restore power that had been cut off from a building in Rome where 450 people, including children, were squatting. I want to talk a little bit later more about who he is and his character. But let's get into what he did this weekend. It was definitely daring. Um, it was also illegal. Tell me a little bit about, you know, who these families were who live in this building. Are they are they recent immigrants? What's what's at play here? Well, across Rome, you have 161 big, big buildings. This is one of them, and it's near St. John Lateran's, near the Church of the Holy Cross. People have moved in there, not just immigrants, yes, a lot of them are immigrants, but also Italians, people who've lost their jobs, who have no money, who don't know where to go. And they settled down there at, uh, and have settled down there and they've been there five, six years. And 
there are several of of these uh, occupied buildings. Squatters uh, have moved in because they have no homes to go to. They have no place to, and often they don't have even food. And he has been supplying some food to these people, some medical services, organized for an ambulance to take people to hospital if they needed it. So he, he was well aware of the situation in this particular uh, building. And uh, so when he came back, he, he knew that f- for six days, the electricity had been cut off because a, a bill of about, I don't know, three hundred and $400,000 was in arrears and the money hadn't been paid. He talked with the prefect of the city, that's the kind of the chief police officer. He talked with other people and said, look, get this thing resolved by Friday. When he came back, the situation still wasn't resolved. So he came at eight o'clock in the evening, heard about some children being frightened at night, heard about people who had fallen uh, in the dark, heard the, the fact that they didn't have electricity, no light, no water, they couldn't keep the food in the fridge, and so on. So he said, this is unsustainable. He had made his efforts to try and get the authorities to act. They hadn't acted. So he said, okay. And he went down the manhole and he removed the seals, which had been put on when they cut the power and connected back the wires. He took a risk. That's really risky. He's not an electrician, as some of the press has stated. He's made very clear. But he said it was an act of humanity. He said, money isn't the only issue in life. Here are human lives. And yesterday, the Vatican Daily defended him. Uh, They described it as an act of humanity. And he told journalists, he said, look, the question is, why are these people here? Why are their problems not being resolved? Why is nobody attending to them? These are the discarded people that the Pope is speaking frequently about. Don Conrad is, is usually a pretty low-profile guy. I remember when I was going to Rome, uh, we were trying to arrange some interviews, and he, he refused to be interviewed by us because he was so focused on his work. Jerry, I was wondering, who, who is the papal almoner? Can you tell me a little bit about him? What does his job entail? Of course, uh, it's uh, unprecedented here in Rome for a cardinal to take such action. Last uh, June, Pope Francis made him a cardinal. Because he said, I want it to be very clear that care for the poor, the poor are the center, one of the priorities of this pontificate. Right. I think you said in an interview that the Pope had told him, like, sell your desk. Yeah. Well, the Pope made very clear to him, his job is not a desk job. And so this man uh, has shown extraordinary creativity. He's helped to set up the showers and the barber shop under the papal window. That's the window that people see the Pope speaking from on this for the Sunday Angelus. Right under, there are showers and there is a barber's shop. And right across the street now, on the other side of the St. Peter's Square, there's a medical center where people can get free medical treatment. It's very interesting that you have such a person in, in the College of Cardinals. They wouldn't think of giving him a red hat in previous pontificates. So how has this role of papal almoner changed under Francis? Papal almoner was almost an invisible figure before. He would sign papal blessings and such like, and he would sometimes give out some alms, but he really wasn't a figure. In in earlier times, the papal almoner had a bigger role, but Francis has kind of catapulted him into the center. And you you cannot go into St. Peter's Square now without seeing the effects of the papal almoner. 
You can't go around the, the St. Peter's Square outside of it at night without bumping into him. Uh, and this is active intervention to accompany the poor, to help them, etc. And uh, lots of people are standing behind him. They've started in one website today, they've started opening possibility to give funds to him to help the poor. Don Conrad has agreed to pay any fines that he might face for his actions, and he's going to pay the building's electric bill until the situation is stabilized. So our next story is a follow-up on uh, the women deconstructed that we discussed last week. So last week we talked about how the Pope had talked to journalists on the plane about what the Commission to Study Women Deacons uh, had come up with, and he said that there needs to be further study. Now this week, or actually at the end of last week, he met with uh, the International Union of Superiors General, which is a group of the leaders of women religious orders. Jerry, what did Francis say about women deacons at this meeting? Did he tell us anything that we hadn't heard on the papal plane last week? Yes, let me first say that the the Union of Superiors General meet every three years. And you bring together the heads of the religious orders. There's more than 600,000 sisters, religious sisters around the world. And they brought together 850 of them. So three years ago, they asked the Pope about the possibility of doing women deacons. He set up a commission. We talked about it the last time. Right. And the Pope said, we cannot depart from the tradition of the church. He said, I cannot sign a decree authorizing women deacons if I have not the historical or theological foundation for it. In other words, we have to move forward in harmony with tradition. He says, doctrine develops. The teaching of the church develops because we understand better today the revelation given by God through the scriptures, through the early church. These meetings that the Pope has had with this group have changed a lot over time. For example, at their first meeting, the Pope spoke most of the time and even made a comment about how women religious shouldn't be spinsters, which didn't sit well with everyone. But the last two meetings have been a lot more of a dialogue with challenging questions from the sisters. He has a, he has a regular speech prepared for every one of these meetings. But he, he came and he said, I, I've got my text, but I'll give it to you. Let's have a dialogue. And then one of the sisters said to him, look, you can't really, un um, I think maybe it's Sister Carmen, but I think also another sister, you can't really understand what we're discussing, how we're feeling, what sisters are doing around the world by just getting a little written report. You, you need to participate in our meetings. And he said, okay, next time, that's three years down the line, uh, 2022, he said, okay, I will participate if I'm still alive. If I'm not, you remind my successor. Cindy Wooden has an interesting article up at Catholic News Service right now that I've linked in the show notes. It's about how this meeting fits into a larger trend of the profile of women religious being raised at the Vatican. And one example she gave was about how women religious are being invited to meetings at all levels of the Vatican much more often than they used to be. I think what the Pope is saying, you know, that... It's not just the center must change, but also the local church. And Francis is very much into decentralizing and getting the local church also to pioneer experiences in this field, to give more place to women, to give more place to religious women. 
Maybe the biggest story out of the Vatican in the last week was that there are new guidelines on sex abuse, and these have been, you know, highly anticipated, especially since the summit in February. What do these guidelines look like? Like, who and where do they apply to? First of all, these guidelines aren't just the result of the February meeting. They are the result of the experience of the church over the last 20, 25, 30 years dealing with abuse. You, you can see the shadows behind of the McCarrick case, the Maciel case. These have influenced what has come out in these guidelines. These are universal guidelines. They're guidelines for procedures that have to happen in every diocese, in every part of the world. And I think we should clarify for our listeners that this is not the handbook that we mentioned was coming. That That's still coming later. The handbook will come before the summer, I'm told, before the summer recess. With that in mind, here's a quick rundown of the guidelines. The main takeaway is that priests and religious at every level are now required to report abuse to the church as soon as they hear about it. The guidelines set up a system for how to do that. The rest of the guidelines are focused on increasing transparency, with victims and within the Vatican's infrastructure, and on closing loopholes. For example, the guidelines protect vulnerable adults and include procedures for what to do when a bishop abuses someone or covers up abuse. Jerry, what do you think is the most important or surprising aspect of these guidelines? I think what was very striking is, first of all, that the Pope is legislating for every diocese, that every diocese in the country, every bishop in across the world in his diocese must have a system for reporting of abuse and procedures for dealing with the abuse. And that has to be done by June 2020. Every priest, and that's about 400,000 around the world, every bishop, five more than 5,000 of them, Every cardinal, more than 200 of them, and every sister, religious woman, it's about 600,000, has the obligation under church law now to immediately report any allegation of abuse that comes before them. Failure to do so will uh, bring consequences, negative consequences for them. So th- this is a major, it's, it's a Moral obligation, it, it's, it's a legal obligation. That has never been the case before. What does that mean, a legal obligation? Is it that that's a church law? They are bound by church law to act in this way. And what happens if they don't? You mentioned there are consequences. They will be held accountable. So one of the critiques that I've been seeing of this is, is that it doesn't include concrete consequences for, for what happens. That's to misread it because there's already some uh, punishments for not acting. And in the decree that the Pope issued in June 2016, like a loving mother, he made very clear that you can be removed from your position as a bishop, as a head of a religious order, if you fail to act, if you ignore the allegation. If you cover up, so uh, there's already so you can lose your job, and so there's already punishments, and there there will maybe more. Do you think that this kind of is taking the way that the U.S. Church navigates these issues as as a guideline? Does it does it maybe owe something to the U.S. Church in that way? 
Well, it's, I think it's taking on board a lot what the U.S. church was anticipating. Uh, it gives a role to lay people, especially in the investigation of bishops. I, I think this is very important. What I also found striking was the investigation has to be opened by the bishop or the head of the religious order within 30 days. Right, and they have to give periodic updates throughout. They have to report to Rome, and then they have 90 days to conclude it, because Rome will then tell them, okay, go ahead, or do it this way or that way. But the investigation is 90 days to conclude. Uh, it can be extended for some reasons, but that's the working, which is in, it's kind of, it's the speed of a Japanese high-speed train in terms of Rome, uh, Rome's traditional operation. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about that. You know, that that seems super fast, and, and there's already this pretty large backlog of cases at the CDF. Do you think that these timelines are reasonable or possible? The, the backlog of cases, it's a complex thing. I, I've talked to people here about it, because there are uh, thousands of cases. But some of the cases are cases that are being worked on at the local diocese level. Uh, now, what has been introduced here in the new guidelines is there has to be, if one Vatican congregation, like the Congregation for Religious, gets a, a denunciation, they have to inform other Vatican departments and also the bishop of the diocese. So they're closing the loopholes about the flow of information so that everybody is on the page about what's happening. And I think it's what is very important also this idea, which was there in the past, that if a person came and reported abuse, the person was bound to silence. The, the new rules state very clearly, this imposition of silence is forbidden. Jerry, we've been talking on a pretty granular level about these guidelines and their strengths and their weaknesses. Do you have a sense of what impact this will have on like, the larger sexual abuse crisis? When I read these new rules and when I talked to other people, I, I came away with one conclusion. This really is not just a watershed in, this, in the church, but, you know, like in you read the history books and you see about wars. And at a certain point, there's a turning point in the war. And I think maybe when we look back in history at this, the uh, publication of these uh, new procedures and norms. We may well see this as a turning point in the battle for the eradication, the elimination of abuse in the church and dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, even if it doesn't prove to be that big turning point, I think it still is a, a huge step forward. Everybody recognizes it as a major, major shift. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a new, we're playing by new rules. One last thing before we go. We're giving away one copy of Jerry's book, The Election of Pope Francis, an inside account of the conclave that changed history. You can enter to win that by leaving us a review on iTunes, and then shoot us an email at insidethevatican at americamedia.org and tell us what name you use to leave your iTunes review. We'll announce the winner next week. Jerry, looking forward to talking to you next week. Yes, me too, Colleen. I don't quite know what's in store for us over this weekend. Uh... There's always surprises. The Pope says God is full of surprises, but the Pope is full of surprises too. So let's stand by and see what happens. Sounds great. 
Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at the William J. Loeshert Studio. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Karen Freeman. This week's episode of Inside the Vatican was mixed by Chrissy Farrell. Our studio manager is Leopold Stubner. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. See you next week.